I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church at Sincrea, so that you may welcome her in the Lord as is fitting for the saints and help her in whatever she may require from you, for she has been a benefactor of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, who work with me in Christ Jesus and who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert in Asia for Christ. Greet Mary, who has worked very hard among you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my relatives, who were in prison with me. They are prominent among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristopolis. Greet my relative Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and greet his mother, a mother to me also. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrabas, Hermas, and the brothers and sisters who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. One of the most sacred times in my educational pilgrimage was a time in which I served as a student in grade school. I didn't appreciate it then, but I appreciate it now. The teacher would call our names with great dignity and significance. She would not just say Robert Smith, or he would not just say Robert, and I would not say here. She or he would say Master Robert Smith, and I would sit up with proper diction and enunciation and say, present. Because she and he knew me beyond my name. They knew whether or not I had breakfast that morning. They knew my parents. They knew where I lived. They knew the environment out of which I had emerged. They knew me. They didn't read the names of the students as if they were reading names out of a telephone directory. They knew us. They did not read our names with emotional distance and indifference. They knew us. Paul lists 26 names in these verses. 23 persons receive personal greetings. Three of them are kind of generalized recognition. He knew them. And when he pinned those words through Tertius in Romans 16, verse 22, who is the amanuensis, the secretary, who took the dictation of Paul and wrote down the names. The names that were written in ink really turned into blood as it related to the life experiences 
the shared ministry of Paul and these persons. Because Paul knew them. This was not a list. This represented a mosaic of life's shared work, ministry, and experience. It's really quite impressive to look at this list and to know that Paul not only knew these persons, he knew their names, he knew how to spell their names, he could pronounce their names correctly. And one wonders, how could Paul remember these names so distinctively and so clearly? I think that a key to that is what we read of in Philippians chapter 1 verse 3 and 4. It's kind of a paradigm, a model for how Paul would relate to people. Philippians 1 verse 3, Paul thanks God for the Philippians and says, I thank God every time I remember you, verse 4, always mentioning you in my prayers. Because when you pray about people and pray for people and think about people, you remember them. I think Paul remembered these names because they were more than names. They were people that had shared in his life, his work, and in his ministry. Uh, Paul remembers them and gives recognition to them for how they had contributed to his life. I kind of think, brothers and sisters, that is obscene to forget people who have served as a bridge to get us where we are now. Some of us have climbed the ladder of ascendancy, but we have not climbed it alone. We have been assisted. We have been helped. My great-grandmother would say we have been hoped. We've been hoped to get where we are now. I think it's excusable and it's even justifiable for a person who has dementia, a person who has Alzheimer's, to forget. That's understandable. But when we willfully forget each other, it is inexcusable. I remember very well the statement of Maya Angelou when she was standing on that vast stage of the Potter's House, the church in Dallas, Texas, pastored by Bishop T.D. Jakes. She stood up to speak. No one was on the stage. And her opening comments were these comments. It's crowded up here. I keep bumping into people. And Bishop Jakes looked at her and other people looked at her. And they're wondering about her mental stability. No one on the stage. And yet it's crowded up here, she said. I keep bumping into people. And the longer she talked, the more they understood. She's talking about those who are present in their absence. I'm bumping into my grandmother who helped raise me. I'm bumping into my aunt. I'm bumping into mentors. I'm bumping into teachers. I'm bumping into recreational leaders. I'm bumping into nosy neighbors who saw me doing the wrong thing, got in my business, and gave a report. I'm bumping into people. Brothers and sisters, I am not here alone. I'm bumping into people. I have not arrived by myself. I'm bumping into my father who only had a second grade education because he had to work 11 months of the year in the farm. I'm bumping into my mother. 
a ninth grade uh, uh, educated woman who could not tell you what omniscience uh, is by definition. It really means that God knows everything there is to know. And there is nothing that God doesn't know. She could not define omniscience theologically. But she could tell you that he sits high and he looks low. And he sees everything that we're doing. Mama was a theologian without a Ph.D. degree. And I couldn't be standing here without my mother, my father, without recreational leaders, without deacons and elders, without busy neighbors who kept their eyes on us. And I could never understand how I could uh, be caught doing something wrong. And um, we didn't have faxes. We didn't have email. We didn't have a telephone. We didn't have carrier pigeons. But before I got home, my mom and daddy knew about it. And you know what? I thank God that there were people in my neighborhood who knew that my last name was Smith. And when I didn't act like a Smith, I got reported. I thank God for those who loved me that much that they got me corrected right on the spot. It's crowded up here. I'm bumping in to people. There was a book titled The Turtle on a Fence Post. And the thesis of it is this. If you ever see a turtle on a fence post, never wonder how it got there because turtles don't climb fence posts. Someone put it there. And wherever you are in life, wherever you are in society, wherever you are in terms of your career, if there is any ascendancy, if there is any promotion, someone help you to get there. And we remember them today because we can't help from bumping into them. My wife and I went to Washington, D.C., and there is there in Washington, D.C., and the, um, the National Arlington Cemetery in that particular area, D.C., Virginia area. And there's some famous uh, tombs there. We saw R.F. Kennedy's tomb. We saw the eternal flame uh, that... Um, rest on the tomb of John Fitzgerald Kennedy. And we saw a tomb that captured our attention more than any others. It's the tomb of the unknown soldier, someone who fought in one of our wars to help to keep America free. And we don't even know his or her name. Every so many hours, a, a group of soldiers will come out and perform their regiment to honor and to remember and to reflect on this unknown soldier who gave his or her life that we might be free. Uh, there's another tomb. It's in Acts chapter 17, verse 23. Paul goes to uh, Athens. And there on Mars Hill, uh, he listens to the philosophers. And he listens to the, the um, poets discuss new things every day. Ideas. Uh, challenges. But in verse 23, he says, As I went through your city, touring your city, I saw a monument that read, to the unknown God. To the unknown God. And Paul says, I'm glad you put it there because you don't know this God. But that's why I came here. To talk to you about the God that you don't know. You don't know him, but I know him. Let me tell you about him. The greatest amnesia we can have is to forget about God. God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, Thou who has brought us thus far along the way, thou who has by thy might led us into the light, keep us forever in the path, we pray. 
lest our feet stray from the places our God where we met thee, lest our hearts drunk with the wine of the world we forget thee. Shattered beneath thy hand, may we forever stand true to our God, true to our native land, lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me. Lead me to Calvary. We cannot, we must not, and we must say we will not forget God. Now, Paul writes this letter. This is the 16th chapter of Romans. He's already piled up prodigious doctrines of, of um, justification and sanctification and creation and pneumatology, which is the doctrine of the Spirit, on and on and on. And now he comes to what seems for many of us to be a rather superfluous, uh, unnecessary ending. Why spend all this time talking about names, Paul? Why don't you just give the benediction in verses 24 to 27 and end it? Why spend all this time talking about all these names that are hard to spell and more difficult to pronounce? Because Paul wants us to know that the theology is in the names. And here are people who live out justification and people who live out sanctification and people who will one day experience glorification. Sounds like Paul is saying hello to these people because he will write to them in about 57, 58 AD and will get to Rome around 60 AD and will be dead in 64 AD. Because there are times when it seems like we're saying hello, but we're really saying goodbye. And no one knows when he or she will say goodbye. I will never forget that day, October the 30th, 2010. My wife and I were in Baton Rouge, Red Stick, Louisiana. I had been doing um, some preaching there, some lecturing there. On Friday, busy day on Saturday, went to bed Saturday night. We were going to get up the next morning, take a plane, come back to Cincinnati. The phone rang about 1.45 that morning, Baton Rouge time. And for what seemed to be an interminable um, amount of time, an eternity, my wife said absolutely nothing. And finally she hung up the phone and I said, what's wrong? She said, it's Tony. Tony was our 34-year-old son. So what's wrong? He's been shot. And Mark is going over to the restaurant, Richie's restaurant over in Reading Road. Well, I... I, I, I to the bathroom. I shut the door like Hezekiah turned my face to the wall, turned off the lights and prayed that God would just spare his life. I didn't know how seriously wounded he was. About an hour later, Mark called. My wife gave me the phone. Mark said, Daddy, it's Tony. The coroner's office has arrived and they have put him in the bag and they're taking him to the morgue. 34 years old, working, and some robbers came into the store and didn't get a dime and killed him senselessly, wasted his life. Uh, he had just said a few days earlier, hello, six days later, he was saying goodbye because none of us know when we will say goodbye. That's why it's so crucial here in Romans. Uh, in 49 AD, the emperor Claudius Caesar has lifted up an edict that disallows any Jews to dwell in Italy. That's why Aquila and Priscilla will leave Pontus, Italy and will find a friendship with Paul in Corinth. All the Jews had to leave. It was like Adolf Hitler in World War II. The Jews were either evicted or they were exterminated. Well, the Jews left. 
But in 54 AD, when Claudius Caesar had died and Nero had replaced Claudius Caesar, he did not re-establish the, the edict. He did not renew the edict so that the Jews can come back now and dwell with the Gentiles and Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians can coexist in the church together and now there's friction. Chapter 14 of Romans, they're fighting over feast days and festivals and all over eating meat and eating vegetables and all of that. They're Christians, but there is friction. We must determine that there are some things that are not worth fighting about. Richard Baxter, the reformed pastor, says, in things that are essential, there must be unity. In things that are not essential, there must be liberty. But in everything, there must be charity. There must be love in everything. I remember Paul Youngie Cho's comment. Uh, he pastored the largest church in the world. Uh, many years ago when I was over there, the church had uh, uh, gotten up to about 700,000 people. That's a lot of folk, a lot of folk. 7,000, I'm sure it's well over a million now. Uh, but the Lord had blessed his ministry, and uh, Paul Youngie Cho told the Lord, wherever you send me, I will go, except to preach to the Japanese because the Japanese had almost decimated, eradicated, wiped out uh, his um, Korean race and family. So he decided he's not going to go over there and preach to them. And yet he finally got an invitation that the Lord just broke his heart over and he accepted it. He went to preach to a thousand Japanese pastors and as he stood up and looked at those thousand Japanese pastors, his words to open up his message were these words, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. One of the Japanese pastors came down with tears in his eyes and apologized for what the Japanese had done to the Koreans. And then the other 999 came down with tears in their eyes. They all repented before God. And God broke Paul Youngie Cho's heart and he said, I love you. I love you. I love you. Because forgiveness is not difficult. It's impossible without God. And a trial is coming up. I've got to attend it. The murder of our son. God has already fixed my heart. I've just been asking and I would ask that you would do the same. Pray for me that I will have an opportunity to embrace him, have an opportunity to tell him, I forgive you, I love you, I am praying for you. Because forgiveness is not difficult. It's impossible without God. And sometimes when we reflect and remember people, remember the people who have hurt us, and we keep playing these DVD tapes that, of things that occurred 15, 20 years ago, and the persons who did it to us are either dead or at midnight they're sure not thinking about us and we're having heart palpitations and getting ulcers. Forgiveness has to be given and it can't be given unless it's given in the power of God. Well, let me run through just a few of these names. I'm not going through all these names. Uh, but um, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 that in Christ there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, bond nor free. In other words, there is a sense of, of um, equality uh, in the body of Christ, even though there is difference and diversity. 
number one, Paul says, I thank God and I want you to tell, Phoebe, uh, tell this particular person hello for me. Tell in verse uh, number 10, tell Aristopolis hi. A person in the high socioeconomic level, Aristopolis. He is the grandson of Herod the Great. Bloodthirsty Herod the Great who sought the life of Jesus when Jesus was born. Bloodthirsty Herod the Great who killed his sons so there would be no rival to the throne. Herod the Great. And Aristopolis is his grandson. And he's the brother of Herod Agrippa I in Acts chapter 12 who beheaded James. And yet Aristopolis becomes a follower of Jesus even though his granddad and his brothers tried to stop and thwart the purpose of the Lord. I say to young people all the time, you are your parents' children. You are not your parents' choices. You are your parents' children. You are not your parents' choices, which means you can be an Aristopolis even if your grandfather and your brother are enemies of the church. I don't want to hear this stuff. Well, I'd be a better person if I had a better dad. I'd be a better person if I had a better mother, if I had a better teacher, if I had a better pastor, if I had a better athletic director. No, you will be who you will be based upon your decision to be who you want to be in the power of God. You can come from a very successful family, but it doesn't make you successful. You can come from a family that is achieved, but it doesn't make you successful. You will not be born with a silver spoon in your mouth. You will have to go up the rough side of the mountain like everyone else. And therefore, you must stop hiding behind what others have or haven't done. It doesn't make any difference where you're from. It's where you're willing to go. It doesn't make any difference what others have done. It's what you're willing to do. And therefore, you've got to go on and transcend despite of the the legacy that's been left behind, good or bad. Aristopolis comes from an, a family of blood, and yet he's a follower of Jesus. But also in Christ, you know, there's no bond or free. There's a slave person in this group. Uh, his name is Rufus, verse number 13. Rufus, Rufus. According to Mark chapter 15, verse 21, uh, Simon of Cyrene was coerced, forced as a slave from Cyrene to help Jesus who fell under the weight of the cross to carry the cross all the way up uh, to the crucifixion site. A slave. And Mark 15, 21 says that, that, Alexander, that um, uh, Simon of Cyrene had two sons, one whose name was Alexander and the other whose name was Rufus. I wonder if Rufus could be the son of uh, Simon of Cyrene. Someone who now is in the Bible because he bore the cross of Jesus. Well, a slave. But there are women also there. I'll run through the women just a minute because you see the church can't exist without the women. Women's got to be in this list. And Paul remembers the women. Phoebe, verses 1 through 3, who brings the letter of Romans. In verse number 3, Prisca or Priscilla. She is mentioned Twice as much as a husband. You never see them mentioned apart. Aquila and Priscilla. Always. But most of the time, two out of three times, it's Priscilla and Aquila. And Aquila doesn't have any problem that his wife's name is mentioned twice as many times as he is. I tell you what, I'm henpecked. And it's all right to be henpecked if you got a good head. Don't have to feel 
intimidated by it. Women ought to have their own identity. Women ought to be able to stand on their feet and not be an ornament for the husband. You ought to know exactly who you are and you are bigger than any designation. You are your own person. Every man, woman, boy, and girl ought to know who they are in Christ Jesus. The women were there. Verse number six, Mary is there who worked very hard. That's in past tense. And that may suggest that here's a woman who is old now, who's worked very hard, and yet Paul is remembering her. I see too many churches where there have been people, particularly women, who have sacrificed and worked to get the church where they are, and then we take and push them out the pasture as if, you know, you're in the way. No, we would not be where we are had it not been for those elders and those seniors who have shed blood, sweat, and tears to get us where we are. In fact, some of you are sitting right next to a mother and a father who may be aged or grandparent who may be aged, but thanks be to God for those who have sacrificed and have trailed, uh, blazed a trail over which you and I had to come. And then there is Trifena and Trifosa. There they are in verse 12. Their names mean dainty and delicate. Trifena and Trifosa. Dainty and delicate, and yet they're not too dainty and not too delicate to be servants in the church of God. And in verse uh, 13, there is Rufus's mother, who's not even given a name. But Paul says, she knows who she is, and she knows who I am, and she's been a mother to me. She's not biologically connected, but she's my mother as well. Do you have any mothers who are not really your mother, but they really are your mother because they've always looked out for you? Well, Paul remembers these individuals because this is not a list. This represents a thread of remembrance that has been woven through the fabric of Paul's life, work, and ministry. Monuments. There's one. The Pearl Harbor Monument. We went over there, stood on that platform underneath which there was the ship. The bodies of people who had died underneath that platform since December the 7th, 1941. You know something? No one was laughing or joking. Tears were coming out of people's eyes because those names on that white marble were not just names. They represented the, rem the memory that people had of relatives had given their lives for our freedom. The Vietnam War Memorial. There it is. I see a man. Juan and I were there an older man hoisting up a young child and putting that young child's finger on a name. All those names. And tears coming out of the old man's eyes. It was probably his son and it was probably the father of this son that this son had never seen before. Not just a name, but real memory. Jesus says in Luke 10, 21, when the disciples come back and they're excited, Lord, even the uh, devils are subject to us. Jesus said, don't get excited because the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your name has been written down in glory. And one of these days there will be a roll call greater than the roll call that my teacher would participate every day we met in class. And because our names are written down in the book of life, we can give God praise because there's one name that's responsible for all of our names. And God hath highly exalted him, Philippians 2, 10 and 11, and give it verses 12 and 13, moving on to that, and giving him a name 
that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim kings and kingdoms shall all pass away. But there's something about that name. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because you and I know that he holds the future. Then life is worth living because he lives. When the roll is called up yonder, I will...